This is my comeback story. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Excited to um, bring this message tonight. Um, you know, most of you are familiar with the 12 steps. Um, at this program, we give both a 12-step and a non 12-step option. If you want to work the steps, uh, nobody is going to prevent you from doing that. Um, I don't spend a whole lot. I teach them on Monday. Some of our other facilitators introduce them, but really the nature of treatment of, you know, whether you're in a 12-step based program or not is not to run a bunch of AA meetings over and over and over again, that clinical work is going to feel different than that. So no matter what your expectation is or where you've been or what you know, different programs that, that you may have, have been through, I just hope that in the same way that um, I'm sure that uh, a, a different pastor that might not have the same style as the leader that you grew up with um, would invite you to kind of you know, check some of that stuff. You know, Some of you are thinking, man, the only pastor that I can receive from is a full oak wooden pulpit that says, this do in remembrance of me. And if you're not wearing a tie, my God, you're wearing purple or bronze. And how in the world could God use somebody like you? There's many reasons that I dress like this. Um, I, I like these. Maybe it's a midlife crisis. Maybe I want to offend your religious spirit. <laughs> Maybe I put them on. Maybe there's a reason why I left the boots and the dress pants and all of that. And, and honestly, for, for, for so many, is, is, is that, you know, I, I just want you to get used and, and comfortable with somebody that dresses like you on a daily basis of, of you, you don't have to be the man of God to, you know, and talk like that and, 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 and say God, in a, you know, or, or, or whatever, so that, you know, that means that you're, you know, super spiritual. Or, or whatever it might be. So just know, man, God, God can use you, right? If you dress like Skipper, you dress like me, you dress like whoever, you know, like he, he can use you. And there doesn't have to be this certain style and this certain packaging, you know, and, and God may deal with you on your dress. I've heard, you know, many times that he's asked women to sometimes to not wear makeup for a season. God bless. And then other, other times... Other times, you know, he might say, hey, you know, you had not been taking care of yourself for a while. Need you to get dialed in, right? And um, I grew up in the South, and like, we wouldn't go to church if we didn't have on a pair of, 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 of dress pants and dress shoes. And, you know, and I mean, there was a certain way, like, you did not show up to Clarksdale Baptist Church where I grew up in Mississippi in a pair of blue jeans. I mean, you would be the talk of the town. Do you see... You see, Trey, he was in jeans. I knew that joker was on drugs. And now I know for sure he wore a pair of jeans into church. So when I got to California, that was kind of my deal is I super, I dressed up all the time. And I just remember the Lord just, just dealing with me on that. Like, stop, man. Like, don't, like, that doesn't need to be your brand. And you don't have to come in here to, like, make yourself feel cool and, like, you know, wear your polos and all that. So I, I don't know what God will do with you like that. Let him lead you. But also just know people are in different seasons, I mean, they, they, they are. And so what, what, what might look like in your season and what God is doing with you, like, you know, and, and maybe God calls you to go do homeless ministry. You know, and, and if not everybody jumps on the bandwagon with you and has a heart that is gripped from God to go out into the slums of Atlanta and reach homeless people, that's okay. 
that is okay that if you get passionate about something or you're here and you know you want to give your life to seeing addicts get free and your spouse like isn't isn't you know like 100 with, with, with that mission with you doesn't mean that they're opposed to it but they might not want to be in the trenches like that just I just want you just as you go in this journey I spent a lot of time wondering and sometimes thinking that I was kind of the the special forces of Christianity because I was out you know in the hardest darkest places and we can get you know this this mentality that can become toxic and can alienate you from a lot of people that can help you you know, sometimes we're on the front end of this journey and we feel like, oh my gosh, like I'm the only Apostle Paul left on the earth. And all these other people, you know, don't mind the millions of dollars of tithe money that they paid for the building that I walk into every Sunday. But clearly, you know what I'm saying, they're in sin and here I am, you know, Mr. You know, 90 days saved, on fire, ready to be the next Billy Graham. Like, just go in with some humility and just realize like people are in different seasons of life, you know, it'll save you um, probably a lot of stress and a lot of griping that you will one day repent of later on when you get older. You can learn that on the front end. I will try not to hydrate my shoes. Um, so I want to be in uh, John chapter three tonight. I was talking about the steps, and what I want you to understand is is that we're going to talk about. What, what I believe is, is the most important step, which is the, the thermonuclear power of the whole thing, which is step three. So to get to step three, I want to just teach you about step one and two. Step one is that we admitted that we were powerless over our addiction. That, that is super important. Arguably, you probably don't ever really get to a step three without a step one, okay? Because you, you've got to get to a place that sin, that dope, that whatever it is your thing has beat the brakes off of you, okay? So, and, and it really is like the big equalizer. It really doesn't matter if you're my grandmother who I never heard cuss gets to a place to know that in her own power, whatever her thing was, maybe her addiction to sweet tea and lemonade, I don't know what, what she had, but she somehow... In her, in her journey of life, though she would not know a bag of meth from this keyboard right here, came to the realization that she desperately needed a Savior. I mean, that really, that, that's step one. You know what I'm saying? Sin, drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be, has overtaken our lives and has brought about some unmanageability. Maybe that happens relationally. Maybe that cuts off your relationship with God and you feel darkness in your soul and you want something different. You want, you want light to illuminate your mind, will, and emotions. And so you realize that, that addiction, and, and, and for the sake of this audience and probably those who are listening, has caused great unmanageability in your lives. And so coming out of that is more of a transition step, step two, that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. Now, step two really is a um, place that I wouldn't suggest that you hang out for too long. Okay, And the reason is, is because I believe that God has a name. And if you stay too long, and I realize, man, okay, if I've been beaten up, if I've been beaten up by life and I feel like God is responsible, and I talked about this on Friday, is that God is your only hope. And though some of you might be on a journey where you've got to 
figure this out and fall back in love with him again. Sometimes we want to stay in that because we don't want the implication of lordship, right? That's what we've been doing, man. I want to drink when I want to drink. I'm going to get high when when I want to get high. I wear it as a badge of honor. I wear it as a badge of honor that I'm not controlled by the system. I go and live how I want to live. And we think it's freedom, but in reality, it is a, it is a prison. And he's designed it that way. I mean, it's all these paradoxes, surrender to win. You know, that, that we're going to somehow in any other sport, in war, and really any other thing in life, surrendering is the worst thing that you can do. It means that you have been defeated. But in this place, it's saying, God, I don't want to do it my way anymore. I am waving the white flag that the culmination of all my best decision making has brought great darkness into my soul. It has brought great unmanageability into my relationships. It has caused detriment to my family and to my friends and those who love me the most and on and on and on and on and so I am waving the white flag of surrender and now I want to I want to complete a step three we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God okay so that's a big decision and there are many of you you know tonight I mean I I heard you know somebody say that it is, it, it, you know, when, when I get emotional, that it's a little embarrassing, you know, and, and, and I'm, I don't want to, you know, hyper-focus on that, but I heard that tonight, you know, and, and, and I come from that place, you know, I'm a, I'm a man's man. I, I am one that, you know, crying and, you know, and, and um, you know, maybe lifting hands to the Lord in worship or praying out loud and, you know, some of those things that typically happen in a, in a, in a, in a, in a spiritually enlightened atmosphere is something that, you know, I would have made fun of, you know, in the middle of, of, of not even just active addiction, but in the social circles that I grew up in. I mean, everything was stoic and everything was done very orderly. And so, you know, I remember too, whenever I got saved and I would watch these third day, I had this third day DVD and this third day CD. And I remember watching that in the morning that I was putting on my full battle dress uniform to go to the 30th Space Communication Squadron and weeping over the presence of the Lord and wondering, man, what's wrong with me? You know, this, 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 this is bizarre, but I loved it. And I, I really don't care who you are. I don't care if you were a part of SEAL Team 6. I don't care if you fought UFC, that you got all the titles, that you're the baddest dude in your town. At, at, at the core of it, no matter how rough and the bravado and all the facades that we want to put up, at the core of all of us, we want to be loved. We want to know that we're loved. We want to know that we've been validated by our creator, that God made me for a purpose, that he loves me. And surely it is something better than drug addiction. Surely it's something better than being laughed at by all of society to be ostracized and outcast by my friends and my family. Surely that God has something better for me. Surely God really does love me. And when you feel that and you experience that, it really does change everything. It changes everything. It changes how you see yourself. And it goes back to that thing that I was talking about earlier, that belief really does drive behavior. If you feel like you're trash or some of you have bought into the lie that was reinforced by family members 
or maybe by some abusive spouse that said you're always trash. You're not when they do things to be able to control us, to keep us in these prisons so that we won't believe anything positive about ourselves because they're scared that we might leave them, right? It's hurt people, hurt people, broken people are going to hurt people. And so we've been in all these relationships with all of these broken people. We haven't felt love. The enemy has used them as a vessel to reinforce lies that we believed about ourselves. And then you come in here so, so broken. And now we need to remove that darkness to reveal the love of God to you. That is one of the biggest things that's in here. Man, I want you to know that you're loved. It is never my goal that you leave here and return back to active addiction. But if you should ever leave here, and even if you do fall, even if you find yourself acting less than biblical or less than holy like I do typically on a daily basis, that I can be reminded, God, you love me. You love me, I am a mess, and I just cussed out that joker at the gas station, and I got to preach tonight. God, I am working. Thank God that you still love me, Jesus. I don't want to be like that, you know, and I, I don't say things like that, but in the reality of what we're coming out of, you know, sometimes, man, we start hanging out with church people, you know, and, 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 and we, you know, you can, you know, you get around a little bit, and you kind of start dressing like them and stuff, and, you know, and, and some of their, their things are like, I, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, that they just, you know, they, they, they may have, they different part of life, you know, and the, the way they slipped up in is, you know, they, they slipped up and, and, and let one sentence of gossip come out of their mouth, and I'm just like, oh, man, <laughs> I just sat here and dealt with a fantasy about buying two ounces of dope and jumping on a flight and going to Vegas, you know, and I don't know how to ask Martha to pray for me because it's just, you know, I don't know if she's going to understand, okay, and, and, and we're just like, gosh, man, like, is this, do I belong here? You belong. I promise you, you belong. That's why the prodigal son's there. That's why we sing worship songs like Reckless Love, you know. That's why God puts those stories in there about Hosea and Gomer and about a prophet marrying a prostitute and going after multiple times. That's why he put those stories in there to let and also to remind us who are struggling with what we struggle and then also to put those religious people in check. I mean, to remind them, there's a reason why he met the woman at the well. To demonstrate to us, there's a reason why the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery in John 8 was brought to his feet about to be stoned. And that he stands there with her, reminding those accusers, all of those religious people in Sunday school leaders. And, 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 and don't get me wrong, for the sake of making my point, it, it is my goal, you know, that, that my children would grow up and escape all of the things that I participated in in my dark years. But what I am saying is sometimes that religious spirit can be the very enemy of what God is doing in our lives. And I want to empower you and equip you and infuse you with so much word and so much truth that if those lies should ever show up in your life, that you know, that you remember that that is biblical precedent. A prophet running after a whore is biblical precedent. Understand that. You can take that to the bank. That is what that is. And so as you find yourself wondering so often, understand that it is there for a reason to remind us who may struggle with shame that Jesus said, but I came to set 
you free. And I will tell you story after story after story after story to remind you that you belong in this family. And that's a good feeling, man. It really is. So step three, we made a decision to turn our will. And I was Nicodemus, was a religious leader of the time. He said, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. See, this Pharisee right here, he knew that it was, it was taboo for him to go and meet with Jesus by the light of day. Jesus very controversial. Right? They were, they were, Jesus was an up-and-coming new ministry, something they had never seen before, real power on his, minist- on his ministry, that he was more than just somebody that could get up and regurgitate scriptures and memorize scriptures, but there was power on his life, and the dead were being raised, and the sick were being healed, and so Nicodemus comes to him by night and probably like, hey, look, I don't want anybody to know that I'm meeting with you. Jesus, humble enough to even meet with him and to meet him where he is at. Jesus, humble enough to meet with you wherever you are at in your life, whether you want to answer an altar call on a Friday night service or a Sunday morning service or whether you want to cry out to him when your sober living apartment bedroom is pitch black dark at night there to always meet with you wherever you are at in your life. But he also, I love the way that Jesus doesn't bow to this religious leader and hits him right between the eyes with this. No one, Nicodemus, can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus, how can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Probably with some of the miracles, he's probably thinking like, Jesus, you're not really getting ready to pull this one off. And Jesus (laughs) answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it, so it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I mean, here's somebody that is branded as the, 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 the teacher of the scriptures to, to, to God's chosen people. And he's saying, man, you're up here as a, as a teacher and you don't understand the most elementary principle of conversion. This is, what, this is the difference between a Christian program and, and just behavior modification and techniques. This is why you came to Good Landing is because of step three and how to do a real step three. That's what Nicodemus is asking right here in so many words, man. How, how, how do I really do this? And Jesus is saying, man, it is so much more than you just reading words off a page. It is so much more than you in sheer willpower trying to modify some of your behavior. There needs to be a rebirth from the inside out, a spiritual rebirth. 
Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then John 316 right here. If you've ever memorized scripture, this is typically where you start. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. It's pretty amazing. And I think that, you know, when you think about the world, you know, when we think and we talk about the world, typically a negative connotation, everything bad that is going on, you know, don't be like the world. And we shouldn't be. And it's used there in Scripture to demonstrate that if we're going to be children of light and not be children of wrath and children of darkness, that we should stay away from loving the activity and the ways of the world. But what I want you to understand right here, as bad as the world is, and the world going to hell in a handbasket, and as immorality increases, Jesus saying right here, those letters are in red, for God so loved the world. For God so loved every one of those people that are doing all of the things in darkness. God so loved all of those people that offended us, for God so loved all of those people that have caused great pain in our lives, for God so loved every single one of us. It is, a, it is an unbelievable truth. Sometimes it is an offensive truth. That's when they talk about, man, God's grace is scandalous. It is scandalous that people like us are able to understand this and to walk free. No charges, no probation, no reporting, amen. no, none of that, that we walk free. Yes, amen. Let it be so. Let it manifest physically in everybody's life in here, all of our lives. Um, that is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. I'm going to move right into Ephesians 2 real quick as Paul you guys know of Saul being converted to Paul. Saul would have been what would be considered a, a really a modern day terrorist. It would be the equivalent of somebody like bin Laden got saved. He went around terrorizing Christians. That was his job. Had permission to go and to kill and to murder Christians. That's what he was going to do. Has the Damascus Road experience and is converted. I mean, I want you to think about how crazy this is for a second. I mean, you remember when bin Laden was releasing all of those tapes from the caves of Afghanistan years ago. I mean, you imagine if bin Laden in one of his latter tapes would have said, hey, guys, just want you to know while sitting in the cave tonight, a bright light appeared to me. It was Jesus and I've given my life to him. You know, whatever he would have said in, in Arabic. I don't know any Arabic, but. Anyway, but he, he, this guy gets, you imagine if he gets saved and you're like, man, that's awesome. Man, that's so cool. Did y'all hear about Bin Laden? That's like bigger than Kanye. This is crazy. Like Bin Laden just got saved. Maybe him and Kanye will do a thing together. I don't know. But, but the thing is, he just got saved and you're like, dude, that's cool. And then all of a sudden, somehow he finds you on social media and he's like, I want to come speak at your church, bro. Like, will you come pick me up at the airport? 
you're like, hold on a second, dude. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I got to see you preach a couple times before, you know, I'm about to go and pick you up. Well, I mean, why don't you try, you know, First Baptist of, of Birmingham or somewhere like that first. Let me get a couple under your belt. And when I make sure that you don't destroy and blow up those churches, then maybe I will go and pick you up. But still, you know, we're going to be guarded. Probably going to be a couple German shepherds there just making sure that you don't have an IED in your pants or something like that. Okay, so we just, I mean, so Paul, that, that's how crazy Paul's conversion is. I mean, sometimes we kind of brush over this. I mean, it is shocking to think that, Paul, that Saul is converted to Christianity and the guy that actually talks about in Acts chapter 9, it says that he was breathing out murderous threats while this is going on. I mean, so he is, is full of murderous threats, going to kill Christians. Jesus shows up and says, that's the guy that I'm about to use to write at least half of the New Testament. If you want to give him credit for Hebrews, two-thirds of the New Testament. That's shocking. Jesus is the CEO of the entire world, could have picked anybody, could have picked Nicodemus, could have picked anybody else on the planet and says, I'm going to find the guy that's breathing murderous threats against me once again to remind people like us, you know, I don't know how many people that you killed tonight on the way to recovery church, okay? So if you think that you're too bad to be, you got a couple, and so you, you, you know, have, have, it, it, the, the deal is, it's like the guy was holding the coat of the very first martyr, Stephen, as it talks about as Jesus stood, not sitting at the right hand of the Father, but Jesus stood at the right hand of the Father as the blood of the first martyr was shed. And now here Paul is writing out of Ephesians 2, and this is just amazing to me. Ephesians 2, verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. This is an overview of my life, probably an overview of your life as well. We were dominated and controlled by a different spirit. You know, when I think about we were sons, daughters of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. I mean, you think about the works of the flesh. I mean, you think about the fighting and the slander, the addiction, the sexual immorality, the stealing, the hatred, murder in the hearts, the gossip, the mean-spirited culture. The demoralizing culture, you know, we, 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 we need to understand those works of the flesh. And if we're still seeing that stuff in our lives, man, we need a spiritual overhaul. We need the spirit to come and dominate and to rule and reign in our lives. Man, I don't want the flesh to dominate my life anymore. I don't want to hurt people. I want to create an atmosphere where lives are changed, where parents, when they walk into this room on Friday nights, and, and daughters and sons and husbands and brothers and sisters are weeping over the work that God has done. That is, if I create an atmosphere according to my flesh in the way that I used to live, then it's going to be an awful atmosphere, and it's going to breed death, and it's going to breed addiction, and it's going to breed gossip and slander, and it's not going to be a safe place. Man, you have to look at yourself right now. What kind of environment... What kind of spirit leads your life? What are you about? Do an honest assessment right now. Let that land. I mean, it cuts both ways. I mean, I have to think about my life. You know, where, where, where do I need to fine-tune my life when I am behind closed doors? Where can I improve how I speak life 
in what I say to people. You know, that I, I don't find pride in wounding or hurting people. There are hard conversations and there are tough love, you know, but we have to make sure that we are, that we're being careful. I mean, at the end of the day, man, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, how, how, how do you, how would you want to be corrected, you know? And, and there are times, man, where we realize that we do have to do it in a way that gets somebody's attention. But, but think about that as you're here. I mean, think about where everybody's come from in here. I mean, there, there, there's been some, I mean, we, we can hide behind a smile and we can laugh and we can joke and, and, and we can pretend as if, you know, life was, you know, not very tragic. But there's been unbelievable compromise that has been made in this room. There's been things that people have done, the abuse that people have been through, the things that people have said to us, and we can hide behind our insults and, you know, the comedy of making fun of everything or whatever our defense mechanisms are. But realize that, man, realize how broken, you know, where somebody's life and the condition that it had to be in for them to make it into this room right here. You know, and we should be careful and, and realize, man, maybe that is how I used to, I, I was, I, we, we, were, we were rough in how we would talk to each other. I mean, I think about locker room banter and just the greetings that we would have for each other. And I don't talk to people like that anymore. And I'm not going to be talked to like that anymore. Even if somebody doesn't mean it, right? Because intention doesn't equal impact. You know, change, change the way that we greet people. I mean, think about what was read tonight on some of these graduations. You know, the ones that are infused with life when somebody comes to you and they start to call out the things that God has put on the inside of you, starting to call out your leadership, you know? You felt like the scum of the earth for so long and somebody's like, man, I see leadership on your life. Man, I see the hand of God on your life right now. It's unbelievable. You know, I, I think about, you know, the way that you invested and stayed up while I wept. You know, some of the things that Gretchen was saying tonight about people that had invested in her life. You know, it's just, it's, a, it's an unbelievable thing to have those things called out. And so we look at that as by nature, we were children of wrath. I'll go back to the text right now. And we were operating this way. But I'm going to give you some church talk right now out of verse 4. That should be your two favorite words. But God. But God. I was, I was an outcast. I was a degenerate, low life. You know, fill in the blank about what we were doing, how we were acting. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Grace, what is grace? It is undeserved. It is unmerited favor. It is nothing that we can earn, nothing that you can do to be able to manufacture it, that God saw fit. I don't know why. You know, you, and it's all about perspective right now. And hopefully by God's grace that you have the right perspective and you're not sitting here thinking, God, why did you do this to me? God spared your life. I mean, some of you have been here long enough to know how this thing can play out. Some people leave and within 24 hours, that's it. There is, there is no coming back. There is no second chance. You've seen the ugly side of this disease and how it can play out in somebody's life. But God, who is rich in mercy, has spared your life, has spared your life, and yet you have another chance tonight to get it right. And what are you going to do? What will you do with this opportunity that God has given you tonight? What are you, and I'm telling you, everything that you do matters whenever you leave here. Everything you do and you don't do, it all matters. 
It honestly, it matters what you listen to on the way home tonight. It matters what you watch when you get home tonight. It matters what you do in the morning, whether you do the devotion or you don't do the devotion. It matters. It matters. Every one of those things matter. And you have to realize that you are a human being that can be programmed. And it is your responsibility to program yourself in 60 days of saying, man, I'm going to do a devotion. I don't care what else is going on. I don't care who needs what. I am going to protect this time with the Lord. And I am going to make sure that that is the most important. I mean, think about it right now. Think about that meeting. You know, I was talking about Truett Cathy earlier. You know, Dan Cathy now taking over the organization. Some of you that are interested in excelling with business. What if I said, man, I can get you a one-hour meeting with Dan Cathy next Tuesday. You're going to sit down with the CEO of Chick-fil-A for one hour. You can ask him anything that you want to about business. You're going to be late to that meeting? You're going to miss it? You're going to be like, nah. Old Netflix show coming on. Got two more episodes. I mean, you wouldn't miss that. You probably wouldn't miss. You probably wouldn't miss a meeting with me. You probably wouldn't miss a meeting with other people in your life that you hold in high esteem. But yet you have the opportunity anytime you want by the Spirit of God to have a meeting, a face-to-face with the CEO, 100% owner of the whole world who controls your future. And how often do we miss that meeting? How often are we like, not right now, I've got something important to do. You you, you have to realize the the privilege it is, and, and if you don't realize that, then we're not going to take this thing seriously. You know, if you, if you think that, that, that praying is just some like weird form of meditation, you know, that you do that's actually only done for yourself and you don't realize that you're actually interacting with the living God, then yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, if I just think that, that, that prayer and a relationship with Jesus is like the same thing as like, you know, sitting like a lotus and, and, and you know what I'm saying, and doing the weird, weird whatever type of stuff, it's not that. That's not what it is. It's the one. He's the one that controls everything. He's the one that controls who you're going to meet. It talks about in Psalms that there's books written about your life. There's a book, God's plan, that is written about your life. And it's our responsibility to partner with God. I don't want to miss, I don't want to miss a line. As a matter of fact, I want everything that God has. I want to abide so much in the spirit that I do anything. And if I can go above that, whatever he's got for me, I want to see it all. I don't want to miss a thing. I'm not worried about the Joneses. I'm not worried about what you think about me. I am here. My life is built on this foundation. This isn't, you know, some, some Simon Sinek leadership training. This isn't some nonsensical junk that I went and got from some weirdo sponsor in AA that was some hodgepodge of, 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 you know, every spiritual, you know, outlet on the planet. This is a life that is built on Jesus. That's what that is. Everything that I've got, everything that I've accomplished, everything, it, it is nothing but God do something with my life. 
I don't want to miss that meeting. I don't want to miss that meeting with the CEO of the entire world who controls the outcome, who controls the afterlife. Don't you fear flesh and blood? You fear the one that can cast your soul into hell for eternity if he wants to. Like that, that's the one. And we will bypass and miss that meeting over and over and over again. It is a bizarre thing. But if we would reposition ourselves, and that's what tonight is about, to be able to invite us back into that, is that is in the age, it says right here, and he raised us together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That we are in Christ. That in the ages to come, he might see. I want you to listen to this stuff because whenever we think about step three, you're like, oh, I made a decision, turn my way. Yeah, 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 you do that. You do that, but you have to understand the reality of what is happening in the spiritual realm and what and the power that you are able to access to actually overcome this and to live according to God's perfect will for your life. You have to understand what, what's going on. It's not just, oh, okay, that's cool. You know, I sat down in a green workbook, you know, and, and, and wrote out, you know, step three in cursive. Or whatever. I mean, I, I don't, you know, whatever bizarre thing, but that you realize, man, that you are, when you do a real step three, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting thing because I, I don't understand why there is so much attention that can be given in recovery circles to the traditions and getting locked up on every word. It's like, you want to go so deep, but what about the origin? Where was it birthed from? The six steps of the Oxford group, Christian origin. Anybody taking the time to read the rest of the serenity prayer? You'll OD on the word Jesus. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, but it's like, man, I want to just, you know, like, don't keep him out of here. It's going to get, it's going to get unusual whenever he shows up and starts doing what he does and all the amazing things that somebody might not have a grid for. Don't want that level of light, but us, because I know that nobody in this room likes cut dope, and so that is why we want the purest form of higher power, right? You ain't getting any cut dope in here, I promise you, I'm selling zero cut in this place. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I mean, it's saying right here that in the ages to come, that he is going to show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness. For ages to come, like starting right now, the doorway for you to come in and for God to put on full display his kindness and his riches and grace towards you. That's an amazing thing. I mean, I, I was sitting there the other day in my house and I'm just sitting there like, dude, I've got a house. I have a house. Like I remember riding past the most average neighborhood and thinking, how do people afford that? I was just like, I'm like, man, what do you, I'm like, I'm like, I'm sitting over here. I can't even get my mind around like having an apartment. I'm like, people actually own, you know, $100,000 houses. That's crazy. Like, I, I just remember that and thinking, man, the chasm is so far because of the life that I live. And I'm like, dude, I am sitting in a home about to go to all staff to talk to, to, a, to a staff that has helped build the largest standalone treatment center, PHP, IOP program, probably in the nation. I'm like, dude, I cannot believe this. I can't believe the life that I have today. And the problems that I have are just a byproduct of winning. I, mean, I want you to understand that it's just a byproduct of answered prayers. 
You, you, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, okay. Like, I, I, I have a, 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 a fight with my wife. You know what I'm saying? Or my kids are being a little disrespectful. Or I've got, I have an employee situation. I have employees, guys. Like, I remember the time... I remember the time, and you would have, you, you know what I'm saying, you wouldn't have wanted me around your, your, your wallet. You wouldn't have wanted me in the car with you. I mean, it's, just, it's crazy, you know. And this one, like, 40 years ago. I mean, this is like eight years ago that I'm getting ready to file bankruptcy. Like, eight years ago, I'm in a meth-induced psychosis meeting with an attorney because a prostitute stole my car. <laughs> Are you crazy? Are you kidding me? That's where I was. I don't care where you was eight years ago. I just want you to understand. I want you to understand, like, dude, it doesn't matter, man. That's how good God is. Do you understand that? Come on. Dude. He's so good. He is so faithful. That's my life, man. You know, like, oh, it's just, that, that's just, and I, if I got into more details, she'd be like, dear God, I cannot even believe I'm at this program. <laughs> they used to send me around in airplanes first class. People showing up. I did a compliance conference. People pay $108 to come and hear me talk for an eight-hour conference. They only, I was just like, dude, I'm like, if these people knew, I'm like, if they knew who they were paying money to come in, I'm like, dude, they would be like, I want a full refund. This is crazy. I just want you to know it doesn't matter how bad it is right now. It doesn't matter what people think about you. You feel like you can never show your face in your hometown again. You give it a little time and you keep coming back. And in no time, you'll find those people reaching out to you. Man, can you help my kid? Can you help my kid? Will you come and speak at my church? Will you come share your testimony? It's just so cool, man, how God can redeem it all. But it all starts with a relationship with him, you know. And maybe you're like Nicodemus tonight, man. Like, I can see, God, I can see you're working. And I don't understand. I don't understand this thing. And I want that. I, I want that, man. I don't know what my life might look like in eight years. But I'm telling you, if you can do it with a guy that has been down that road, that was that far gone, then I know, God, I know that I have a chance. I know that you love me. I know that you're not a respecter of persons. There's, there, there, I promise you, there is nothing special, different. You, you have to get to a place where you're saying like, dude, I am just, I am just some country dude from a, from a middle-class family in North Mississippi, in the Mississippi Delta. You know what I'm saying? There, there is nothing, no whatever. That is just Jesus will do it for anybody, any one of you that are just going to believe and just say, God, I am going to lay hold of this. And I am going to be relentless. And I want you to bless me. Like, bless me, Lord. Work in my life, God. I want to be converted, God. I want you to take over my life. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.